welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. If you have kids and you're trying to get them to school and peace reigns in your household at 7.30 in the morning. Another definition is it's an absence of war. It's an absence or a cessation of war. And both of those, we can understand they're true. They have, they have relevance to the word. But what do the scriptures say about peace? What are the scriptures that, that Tony read to us have to say about peace? And, and what we hear from it is somehow it's, got, it's tied in relation to God. Peace is tied up in relation to God. Now, if we look at the Old Testament, we see lots of situations where, where God brings peace to his people and other times where he withholds peace from his people because they're not following him. And they're in times of strife and they're being they're attacked and persecuted. And other times they're living in the shalom of God and they are at peace. But we also read in these scriptures that peace is given to us. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. So it's got something to do with God and, and, it, and it's given to us by Jesus. And, and somehow also he is our peace. We read it really clearly in the Ephesians scripture. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace. Speaking of Jesus, he is our peace. So if, if peace is from God, and, and it's tied up in Jesus, does that mean that when we're, we're running nicely with God, our life will be peaceful? And when our life is not peaceful, it means that we're not running well with God. It's really easy to fall into that trap. And it's wrong. It's wrong. We can, the Bible says really clearly, you're going to be persecution, trouble, trauma, all sorts of things are going to happen to you, irrespective of whether you're sitting comfortably or what you think is sitting comfortably with God. If we read the context of John chapter 14, Jesus is saying to his disciples, peace be with you. My peace I leave with you. I don't give it as the world gives it. And what does he say next? What does he say next after that? He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Now, why would he say don't be afraid? Because there's reasons to be afraid. You don't tell someone not to be afraid when they're sitting having a Coca-Cola on the beach, resting, and there's no kids in the water, and they're reading a book, or listening. You don't say it. You say do not be afraid when there's reason apparently to be afraid. You don't say don't let your hearts be troubled when your hearts are likely to be troubled. Why is this so? Because Jesus is about to be crucified. John 14 is part of a series of, of chapters in John, from starting from John 13 to John 17. In John 13, it's the Last Supper, and Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And he's saying to them, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. And then John 18 is the story of his crucifixion. And John 13 through 
17 is this series of, of passages where God, Jesus is opening up something that is extraordinary. And at the, in chapter 14, towards the end of chapter 14, he's just been telling them, I'm going away. The Holy Spirit will come, but I'm going away. They have no comprehension really that what he's saying is I'm going to be crucified and killed. And then I'm going to rise and go to the Father. They're still not getting it. Jesus is saying, my peace I give to you. Just before he is about to go through the most traumatic, excruciatingly painful experience of his life, something that most of us could not even comprehend. Who's afraid of needles? Who's really afraid of needles? Okay, so those people who are really afraid of needles, and if you're not afraid of needles, think of spiders or whatever it is, as you're sitting in the chair waiting for them to stick a metal object in your arm to extract your lifeblood, how much peace are you sitting in? Are you going, oh yes, I've got lots of peace to give away. This is, I mean, if you're wanting to get peace from someone who's afraid of needles, you don't ask them just before they get the needle. Okay, you want them when they're sitting on the beach, can I have some of that good stuff you've got? Jesus, just before he is crucified, says, my peace I give to you. So we can see that the peace that Jesus is experiencing, the peace he is offering, the peace he opens up for us has got nothing to do with his circumstances. It's got everything to do with relationship with God. Everything to do with relationship with God. In the, in the passage in Romans, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I think we're at risk here. Because we can think about we have peace with God as in the sense of we were at war with God and now we're at peace with God. And the difficulty is when we think about that context, we often think about parties who are in dispute. If you go back to World War I and you had all these the soldiers in the trenches and they're trying to kill each other and they're in there for months and then there's a, a ceasefire and then there's a peace treaty and all of a sudden there's peace, they're not at war. But the guys in the trenches aren't popping up and said, hello, glad I didn't shoot you. We're having meatloaf for dinner tonight. You want to bring the family around? And they're not at war. They're at peace, but they're not in relationship. And if we're not really careful, we can fall into the trap of thinking we have peace with God, but we're still, still a bit distant. He's no longer shooting at us, but we're not really friends. We're not being invited over for meatloaf. Jesus says, my peace I leave with you. He then says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. And then he immediately goes into chapter 15 where he starts talking about the vine and the branches. In John chapter 15, verse five, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't get a more integrated sense of belonging and and integration than, than a branch with a vine. What he's saying is, what you have here is inextricable to my life. He's just said, peace I leave with you. Then he says, remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Now, remain in me. There are two implications. There are two things that are presupposed in the statement remain in me. What's the first one? If I'm to remain in you, then I must already be in you. 
be in you. If I say to my kids and they're sitting at the kitchen table and our kids remain in the pool, they're gonna say, Dad, we're not in the pool. What do you want? The telling them to remain in the pool only makes sense if they're already in there. You see, I think a lot of us can live a life where we're trying to get into the pool. We're trying to work out what do we need to do? How do we need to arrange ourselves? What do we need to look like or feel like or feel guilty enough in so that we can get in the pool? And Jesus is saying, remain in the pool. We cannot possibly get ourselves into the pool. That's Jesus' job. All we have to do is believe that he was the son of God, that he died for our sins, that we're saved. Then we are in the pool. So if he says remain in the pool, what's the other possibility? We can climb out. Well, hold on. If, if you said we're already in and, and then you said we can climb out, well, then we're not in and we have to try and get back in again. I don't think he's talking about that. I think what he's saying is you're not living in the reality of being in the vine. I'm sort of, you know, I'm on the pool, the pool's there and I'm, 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 I'm not really want to get wet. I'm staying up here where it's nice and safe. But it goes more. It goes more. In John 17. So remember Jesus said, peace be with you. My peace I give to you. And then in John 17, Jesus prays what I think is one of the most extraordinary prayers of the scripture. This is just before he, he's betrayed and he's praying for his disciples. And then he goes on in chapter 17 and says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. Anyone who has believed in Jesus as a consequence of the message of the scriptures, of the message that the disciples preached. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in one. What God is saying is, Jesus is saying is, God, as I have this inextricably union with you through the Holy Spirit, I want them to participate in that union. I want them to be so caught up in our lives. It's been described as we have been invited to participate in the dance of the Trinity this life-giving, loving flow of goodness and life and grace and blessing, that is what God is wanting to call us into. Far be it that we're just not at war anymore. God is saying, come. And why? Why? I think Dallas Willard puts it beautifully in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. He said, we must understand that God does not love us without liking us. He doesn't love us through gritted teeth in the Christian way that's sometimes described. Peter, I don't have to like you, I've just got to love you. No. Rather, out of his eternal freshness of his perpetually self-renewed being, the heavenly father cherishes the earth and every human being upon it. The fondness, the endearment, the unstintingly affectionate regard of God towards his creatures is the natural outflow of who he is to the core, which we vainly try and capture 
by the inadequate and tired word love. That is God. You don't believe me? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And he didn't give it so that we could sit on the other side of the hills and stop shooting at it. He gave it so we would have a way of participating in the dance of the Trinity, that we would be one with him just as he is one with his Father. That, friends, is the peace that Jesus gives. So why are we not there? I mean, tell me who experiences that all the time, just that. Okay, I'm alone here. Why are we not there? I think there are a number of reasons, but I want, to, I want to unpack one of them today in the context of peace. There's a writer, a Catholic writer and contemplator called Richard Raw, and he talks about our true self and our false self. Can everyone see that? There's going to be very technical drawings, so you're going to have to stay with me. He talks about a true self or a false self, or a small self and a big self. I think that's actually a a more helpful way of understanding it. And this is our small self. And this is our big self. And our small self is the self that's created by our experiences in our family, It's shaped by the messages we get about ourselves, who we are and who we're not. It's the places that we feel guilty. It's the places that we get jealous. It's the places that we feel inadequate or not worthy. Our small self are the things that we cling to for validity. I'm okay because I'm tall or I'm okay because I'm beautiful or I'm okay because I'm smart or I'm okay because I drive a nice car or I'm okay because I have a big house. The small self are the places that we are fearful and we are jealous and we are envious and we resent. The small self is the places I feel insecure. The small self is how I feel ashamed. It's the Instagram version of myself where I desperately try and put up an image that actually looks a bit better than the way I really feel about myself deep down. The small self depends upon how other people see me or how I see myself. The small self depends upon the clothes I wear or the job I have or the title I have or the car I have. And we all have a small self. But that's not who we are. That's not who we are. Because there's another self. It's our big self. Let me read some of the scriptures that talk about our big self. In Romans 8, 7, it says, Now if we are children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. In Ephesians 1 to 3, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. In 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10, speaking to the church, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. In Ephesians, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. 
In Ephesians 2 verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Our lives, our big life is hidden with God in Christ. In Galatians 2.20, I have been sacrificed with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives with me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith through the Son of God. That is a description of our big life. And if you think about that deeply, it has got absolutely nothing to do with what anyone else thinks about you. Or whether you're tall or short or dumb or smart or a CEO or a janitor, it's got nothing to do with any of that. Any of that is going to fade away. If, I, if my value is in my title, I'm going to lose my title. And what have I got left? If my value is in the fact that I think I'm smart, I'm going to be less smart as I go on at some point. I'm going to be old and frail and I may have dementia and everything that I've put my value in has gone. If it's dependent upon the fact that people like me, at some point you're going to realise who I am and you're not going to like me and it's gone. All of that is small self. None of it has got anything to do with the reality of who the creator of heaven and earth calls you to be. The difficulty is, a lot of us don't even know this is here. We live here. If I can describe it like this, my small self is sitting on, standing on a chair. This is my world. And, and it's, I don't have a lot of room to move on the chair. And, and God calls me to love and to be generous and to... And, and, and there's just all this stuff coming at me. There's people's opinions and there's what I need to do. And, and I'm, I'm comforted by the people who like me and agree with me. But if people insult me or take me for granted or lie about me, then that is a threat. And if my value is tied up with being on this chair, I'll see this chair and I'll think, that's a taller chair. Now I'm feeling better. And have you noticed the taller I am, the more energy I've got to put to try and keep myself secure. And so I can keep going. And now I'm really impressive until I see someone with a taller chair and I realise that if I'm here, I've got to continue to manage it so I can stay here, otherwise I'm going to lose it. And if I lose it, what am I? You get the idea? This, this is not a free space. This is a space where I'm trapped. And when I'm living here, I'm not living in my big self. I'm living in this place where my status is on this. And for some of you, rather than standing on a chair, you've got a hole. Because actually, we're tied up in here and you'd rather just not be seen. And if I can hide and just not, not stick out, then I'll be okay. The trouble is we are committed to our chairs. Often it's the only thing we know. Our small self. And the wave of stuff that comes against us either supports us and makes us feel good about our chair or is a threat and makes us feel vulnerable. And so we welcome what's nice and we, we combat. And my wife says something about me, it hits me here and so I'll react. Or, or someone else challenges me and I'll react and I'll get defensive because I need to protect my chair. But I wonder how we would live, friends. I wonder how we would live if we really understood this. I wonder how we would live 
if deeply and transformationally we understood that the God of all heaven and earth cherishes us, that there is nothing that we can do to make us more appealing or valuable, that we are actually made in the image of God. I wonder how we would live if rather than being anxious about the people we love and about our future, we could rest into the idea that actually God loves them infinitely more than I do. He tells me not to worry. I, can, I trust him. Not because everything's going to go well, but I know he holds everything. How would we, we live if I understood that actually I, I wasn't a finite resource, but I was indwelt by the ever-flowing spirit of God and I could live generously and abundantly and give myself away knowing that the God of all creation would continue to infill me? I wonder how I would live if I realised deeply and transformationally that I was accepted and welcomed and belonged and cherished and participating in the most extraordinary relationship I can imagine and it actually didn't matter what you thought about me at all because I was home. Would we live differently? Do you think we live less anxiously? Do you think I'd spend less energy trying to manage myself on the chair? Do you think we'd be more peaceful? Can I suggest, friends, that it's really hard to be peaceful in our small self? One of the things I have understood is that I am incapable of getting out of it. I, I can't get out of my own road. I just can't. But I can start to reframe reality for myself. See, if I'm on my chair, and we're always on our chair, we don't, don't judge the chair, they're just, we're all there. But if I see this, and then something happens to me, and I go, I'm feeling very good, I realise, oh, my value's tied up in my chair. Or if someone comes against me and says something, and I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to, that's not right, you don't know, and I'm wanting to justify or respond or get my back, I can start to say, oh God, if I knew that, this wouldn't affect me. God, if I, if I knew that, I, I would be in a different place. And rather than what comes to me as a threat, it's information to remind myself that I'm not yet free. And rather than as a threat that causes me to more securely hold onto my chair, I can say, God, you call me to love this person. You call me to bless this person that just did this thing to me. How do I, how do I respond differently? How do we have the wave of things that happen to us every day rather than locking us into that, allow God to use them to break out and to help us live more in the big self. I cannot do that by myself. But here's the thing, I can follow Jesus. And he says, love your enemies. He says, be patient, be gentle, be kind, be humble. 
He says, climb down from your high places. Humble yourself like Jesus did. And you see, when all of a sudden I'm starting to live in my big self, starting to get free of my small self, I realise that I can walk and it's pretty hard for me to knocked over and I can love and I can give and I can be generous. And I think at some point over time in my life, God is going to continue to show me ways that I need to step off another level. And I find that there's even a bigger platform of love and grace and acceptance. And then there's going to be another one until I find myself in the ocean of his goodness and his blessing where there is nothing about me and it is all glory and goodness to God. And all I've done is follow Jesus. All I've done is tried to live the way he wants me to live. And, and the real difficulty, being a pastor is a really dangerous thing. Because there's all sorts of ways that I can perform and I can try and look impressive and I can actually be about building my stool so I can, every time I preach, I need to say, Lord, it's not about me wanting to be impressive. Help me get off my stool. Just be real and humble and show that it is all you. It is all you. We can't do this on our own. But the very commands of God that call us to move into places of freedom also calls us to a path that will transform the world. Because Jesus says, love one another. And I can't love one another well from my small self. It forces me to step out. And what the world doesn't know is that there is something else. There is a reality of life and blessing and wisdom and grace and identity and value that transcends their small self. There is so much violence in the world. There is so much violence that is occurring with men against women all over the country and the world because they don't know this. And they see everything that comes as threat and they see that their chair is breaking away and so they have to react out of it rather than having the challenges and invitation to step into something more beautiful and more transformational. As I've walked this journey, and I walk it badly, and I walk it stumblingly, but I don't judge it. Because when God called me, he knew where I was. And he just says, come. Come to me. Walk with me. Love people. And I lose it, and I get it, and I lose it, and I get it, and I lose it, and I get it. And God keeps saying, follow me. And as I do, friends, as I do, I become more gentle. And I become more patient and I become more hopeful and I, Lord knows I become more peaceful and I do less damage and slowly, slowly, slowly it's less about me and more about him so I start to get to the place where I start to praise the Lord our God and realising that everything is him all I have done is follow him to places that seem scary, to places that seem deep. But it's all him.
friends, this is good news. This is good news. But we have to redefine reality because we don't spend time thinking about our big self. We spend time living and trying to defend in the small self. We need to see it for what it is. It's not who we really are. We need to trust God that as he says, follow me, be obedient to me, we will change. And we will have peace. And that peace that we have, we will be able to take into the world without judgment, without criticism, without evaluation, just because I'm in here just as you are in here and the only thing that can save us is Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, I thank you so much. It ain't up to me. Lord, I thank you that you came. I thank you that you desire to save us. I thank you that you call us into something that is so much bigger. But Lord, we love our chair and we're terrified about what is the other. Lord, I pray that you would remind us who we really are, that we will come to understand the depth and breadth and wonder of the place that we are actually called. Lord, would you still our hearts? Would you give us the capacity to silence ourselves and hear the gentle tug of your Holy Spirit that tells us to step out and love, to step out and forgive, to step out and be patient, to step out and be gentle, to step out and not react. Lord, I thank you that you are always at work. Lord, help us to see who you are and what you have done. And Lord, that all of us might walk together in maturity so that the world might know that you were sent by your Father to restore and redeem a broken humanity. Amen.